And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between, what's the next word? Is it up there? Them. I don't know why I missed that part. I just thought the, the younger kid got his money and he divided his wealth among them. Inheritance then was when there's an elder son and a second son, the elder son gets two-thirds. Second son just gets, he gets a third. But there is at least some historical um, uh, evidence that that the father may have had to liquidate things not being a cash society and still not sure why he, he ever did it. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country or some versions say a far country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. I think both geographically and um, and according to some other references, he his heart was far away. Then verse fourteen. Now, when he had spent everything, a certain famine occurred in, in the country, and he began to be in need. Or at the same time, after he lost all his money, now there's a famine. To which I think, of course there was. Of course there was. Of course. My plan isn't working. So he has a plan. Most of you know um, what's the easiest way to make God laugh? Yeah, tell him your plan. Tell him your plan. Um, God, I've got this plan. Verse 15. Here's my plan. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. The implication here is this is a is a man of of some means, but we have what now again a, a famine going on, and then also 
as, as most of you are aware. Um, I have this good little Jewish boy. Spent all his money. Can't go back home, by the way. Just customarily, if you lose your money as a good little Jewish boy to a any non-Jew come to think of it. Not only can you not go back home, you can't even go back into the city. So you're excommunicated. So you better come up with a plan. So he's got his plan. So don't lose the picture. We got this good little Jewish boy in pig slop, feeding pigs the most ceremonially unclean animal to a Jew. Verse 16 says, And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. There is... There, there's some evidence again that because we're having what again? A famine. Now nobody's got any money. I can't even pay you. What I can do is I can let you eat, but you're going to have to eat what they eat. This is not working. Before we again lose the picture, who, who's Jesus talking to? The scribes and the Pharisees. What in the world must they be thinking? So we have this split screen story of we, we have this this boy in a far country and, and where we're gonna get to in just a second, and I, I think the narrative supports supports where we're going. Um we have a father who's home, still loving his son. Even when his son's not loving him, his father's still loving him. His money's gone. When, when money's gone, popularity's gone. And then, of course, as God would orchestrate, and, and now we have a famine, really, God? Um, and the answer is yes. 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'm trying to, also I'm trying to remember, um, how does King, when King James says, and he came to himself, came to his senses. And I thought, I think for for the most part, I've always thought again that this is where 
the story changes, where he comes to his senses, he goes back home a repentant sinner, but does he? Is there anything here in the text where he acknowledges specifically what he's done? That he's broken the heart of his father? Any evidence that he repented? Or is he still working a plan? What it does say is he's still trying to get out of the mess that he's made. And I think sometimes it's too much like us where we'll do anything but repent, anything but say, I'm wrong. We'll plan, we'll work. So here's his plan. I'll go to work in the field away from his family Still not back in the, in the city, not back home. In the field away from his family as a servant until he's earned the equivalent of what he had lost. So again, he could, then he could appeal for reinstatement. That's his plan. So at this point, he isn't looking for grace and then if we look back at the go back to verse 3 when Jesus I I tell you a parable he, he talks about a lost sheep and he talks about a lost coin but he isn't looking to be found he's still trying to execute his plan I think there's um if, if it were possible, if that could have happened, if the prodigal could have found his way back into God's good graces or his father's good graces by his own ingenuity, his own plan, the whole point of the parable is lost. Sheep, they don't seek for a shepherd. The coin didn't seek for the woman. And the prodigal did not seek for his father. The sheep, the coin, and the son, they were all sought. They weren't the seekers. So God loves us when we're in slop. God loves us when we're trying to work our way home. Again, don't don't lose the picture. He does he does get home. And I'm thinking, what must that boy have smell like? Um Verse 18, once again, I'll, I'll get up, I'll go to my father, here's my plan, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. 
I'll do better and try harder. Well said. And he got up, came to his father. What's verse 20 say? But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father felt compassion for him. The father ran. The father embraced him. And the father kissed him. I think some of you you know this, that, that for a man of to do what what this father did men of distinction men of age position they walked very dignified but what does the scripture say the father did he what ran which means he had to pull up the front of his robe exposing his legs in a shameful and humiliating way and ran through the village to the edge of town becoming the laughing stock of his friends and peers. And part of that is exactly what God did for us. He took the shame that we deserve, just like the father did for his son. He took the shame that his son deserved upon himself. And he raced out in this embarrassing moment of loss of dignity. And again, that's what the father did, sending his son to be on a cross between two thieves let's go back to verse 20 while he was still a long way off his father saw him felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him what's what's the boy said so far nothing Nothing. The boy hasn't said a word yet. So the grace of the father is not certainly in response to the son's confession because he hasn't said anything. So where did he find him? He's not in the far country, but he's not in the village either. So he's at the edge of the town. The son was, was actually still lost. It's at this moment, there's a, there is a confession and the acknowledgement that even though he's humiliated his father, his father's never stopped loving him. And the whole point of the parable is that grace is always, always the initiator. We don't do some work and grace responds. You know, grace, grace.
grace pursues us. And it's at that point, the overwhelming grace overtook his son. I've always thought the, the text should read whenever the, the boy goes into his, what he said is, I think it, would, it means the same thing. The father just said, hush, boy. Just, just, just hush. Um, there, there's some evidence um, that the, the father's not there by himself because he but the father verse 22 but the father said to his slaves quickly bring out the best robe so he's got some other folks with him the best robe the best robe belonged to, to the father. So he said, get my robe. And what's he say next? And then, and put it on him and then put a, a ring on his hand. Not any ring, but, but a signet ring that stated that that the boy could once again conduct business on behalf of the family. The father was essentially saying, I, I trust you again to do, to do business and act now even on my behalf. And what's the third thing? And put Sandals on his feet. Slaves didn't wear shoes. Children of families did. So in the three items, the father covered every concern the son ever had. Father, I've sinned. Get the robe. Remember that little chorus about, I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Get the ring. Get the ring. Make me as one of your servants. Father's having none of it. Put sandals on his feet. And then the father says, kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Which is exactly what God's done for us. So in one moment, because of the pursuing grace of the father, our father, he, I, have been completely restored. Great story, right? Except it's the story of a man that, that had two sons. The older son, our firstborn. Somebody who nails all the rules and is going to tell you about it. And here's my problem. Um, 
I kind of have a soft spot for prodigal sons, probably because of my own sin. But I kind of tend to judge and be critical of sometimes what I just call religious people, kind of with trite little little sayings and their judgments and their self-righteousness. And I tend to judge that. And in doing so, I become the older brother. Isn't that ironic? Verse 28. He became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began, what's the word? Entreating him or begging him, pleading with him. Verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Let's pick up verse 30 because it's still part of his little speech. And then he refers to, but how did he refer to his brother? But this son of yours doesn't even acknowledge my, no, your son of yours. He's devoured your wealth with harlots. And and what do you do? You you kill the fatted calf. Here's how good I am. Here's how bad he is. And I'm afraid my posture would not have been like the father's. My posture probably would have been fine. Take your goat with your buddies and do what you do with a goat. Um, We're having filet and wine in here. Do, Do whatever, do whatever but the father doesn't do that he's entreating pleading begging please come in here verse 31 32 son you have you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours We have to celebrate and re- rejoice for, and how, how does he refer to this brother of yours? Okay. First, the brother says, uh uh-uh, that, that, that's son of yours. Uh, and the father says, no, uh, that the brother of yours was dead. And, and now he's begun to live and was lost, and, and now he's found. So God's heart, even towards the self-righteous, is, no, 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 no. The fatted calf is for you, too. It's, the wine is for you. 
get in here, get in here. And, and here's what I kind of believe is behind some of the, some of the behavior that drives our, our self-righteousness. Sometimes I think it's an attitude with our own fathers, an attitude of, if I just do what he says and don't bother him, then everything will be okay. And in doing so, it takes away the joy, the joy of relationship that will, that's the fuel, that the joy of the relationship is the fuel for my obedience to God. And if I don't have that, if it's just, if I can just do what he says and get out of his way, that only leaves fear and willpower do better, try harder. And those are horrible fuels for... They, they just don't get us home. Joy gets us home. To know that we're delighted in, to know that you are loved, accepted, forgiven, blessed, embraced, that's the fuel for obedience. So it, it, it encompasses all of it, all of it, all of it, all of us, the prodigal in us, the self-righteous in us. The younger brother went to a far country but his heart brought him home. The old, older brother stayed home, but his heart, his heart was far away. So why did, why did Jesus tell the story again to begin with? In the first couple of verses, again, at the beginning of the chapter tells us Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And immediately Jesus tells this story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And <clears throat> this probably wouldn't have been the right thing to say. I think Jesus could have said, you're upset because I receive and eat with sinners? Well, guess what? It's worse than that. I chase them down. I run after them. I go to the edge of the village and bring them home. I encourage them. I beg them to come and be part of the family. Let's pray. Father, you've taken care of everything. Always have. You've taken care of the prodigal in us. 
you've taken care of the, the righteous, self-righteousness in us. May we never, never stop marveling at your grace. May we never get used to say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, God, yeah God's, yeah, yeah, I know about his amazing grace. Yeah, 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 I know all that. We know nothing. May we never stop marveling at how good you are. And you love us when we're a far, in a far-off country you love us when we're trying to figure out a plan to get back in your good graces. You love us when we'll do anything but repent and say, I got nothing. I'm a train wreck. You love us when we think, when we think, no, God, you did a good thing whenever whenever you save me because all the things I can do all the things I can do you even love us with our self-righteousness you, you love us you took care of it all once again may we never stop marveling at your grace We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.